Do you know that phase where kids just keep asking why all of the time? Clean your room. Why? Because your mom said so. Why? Because that's what she wants. Why? Because <laughs> if you don't, I'm going to spank you so hard your grandkids will feel it. That's how my mother settled、uh, questioning back in my day. She pulled out the wooden spoon, and the questions just stopped. I don't want to talk about it. But that questioning phase, it never really grew out of me. And so when a Christian would say, "The church should be in unity," why? Ah,、uh, because it's good. Why? Because God said so. Well, why is it good? Because God said so, or is it good in and of itself? And God calling it good is Him just more recognizing the goodness of this thing. You see why I don't get invited to parties very often. But here's why I raise this question: For the last seven weeks since Easter, we as a church have been looking at different attitudes, different postures, different practices that we can take on and act out to be agents of peacemaking and unity in a time of tension. And division. So we started all the way back on Easter. In week one, Pastor Lucas was sharing about how Jesus met people on their turf and on their terms, and he was sharing the story of Nicodemus and the woman at the well. He also shared from the whole book of Second Timothy, how Paul's final charge, his famous last words, was calling the church towards unity. And then we kind of detoured, and we looked at some very specific skills. We looked at the interaction between Paul and Barnabas, and how we as Christians can navigate conflict. That isn't based upon sin. Then we looked at how we can listen well, how we can listen to learn, and how we can listen to love. And then last week we looked at talking well, how we can speak life over people, how we can speak truth rather than speaking lies and causing division and letting the sun go down on our anger. As a side note, in that sermon I shared a couple. Harsh things that had been spoken over me by believers in the last year, and I was thinking that if I shared this, then maybe people would open up and share as well harsh things that had been spoken over themselves. I thought it would start this like empathy domino effect, and a couple people reached out and said, "Hey, thanks for sharing that. I've also had some harsh things said to me, and it was kind of a moment of healing." But what I didn't expect was this overwhelming response—just a full inbox of people saying. Hey man, we don't affirm that.、Uh, we're we're actually really blessed by what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. May God continue to encourage you. So I was really thankful for that. Two people said, I think they were both moms. They said, "Who said that to you? Give me names and addresses." And so keep your eye on the local news. But but thank you so much for that response as well. I wasn't、uh, expecting that, and I'm just really thankful for it. So. This brings us to where we are today, because we've been looking at different attitudes, different postures, and spiritual practices, and all of these things are good and appropriate and wonderful. But I would like to address what is the underlying power of this unity? Like, what is the motivation for it? Where is our empowerment to pull this off? Are we just supposed to white knuckle it and push through and hope that this group of people will have more peace than any other group in human history? Because it's hard, right? Like, churches are filled with people who are broken. That's that's people who come to church, not the healthy, but the sick who need a doctor. And so it's full of difficult and awkward situations. It's not always the most efficient thing that could happen. Things are are weird and strange. Can I get an amen? Yes. So how do we pull this off? Do we just try harder? Do we just, you know, listen to these talks, listen to these interesting messages, think about some of the cool tips and tricks, try it out for a couple weeks, and then go back to our normal life? I really hope that is not the outcome 
of these weeks that we've been working on. So today we're actually going to be looking at what is our power for unity, for peacemaking. And I'll give you a hint. It has to do with Pentecost Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today. 50 days after the death of Jesus was when we, the church, received his spirit. So keep that in mind. To look at the source of our unity, the power, turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading a large portion of it. Uh, We're just going to be looking at one third of a time on the screens. So read along with me. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a lot going on there. There's more happening here than we even have time to fully unpack today. So I want to call your attention to a few things. This is written by Paul, the book of Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And he's urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And they say humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one one another in love. We've been talking about these things, different practices that help, how we can speak well and listen well and navigate conflict in ways that model this. Yes, but there's kind of a why in here. Do all these things to maintain the unity of the Spirit maintaining the unity of the Spirit. So there is unity in the Spirit, and it is maintained, if you keep looking, through the bond of peace. So the first thing that we see here is that peace maintains a pre-existing unity. There's already unity in the Spirit, and as the church, we are maintaining it through the bond of peace itself. Then Paul reinforces this by listing several other things that we have in common. There is one body and one spirit, and there is one calling that we are called to by the spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So unity exists in the church. It exists in the body of Christ. It exists in Christ himself. One body made up of many people regardless of how many, how far, what culture, what language, what age, there is a pre-existing unity in the body of Christ through the Spirit. So the takeaway from this is that we don't make unity, we're sharing the unity that is pre-existing in and of itself. The solution is not in me, it's not actually in us. You can't take a bunch of broken people, put them together in a room, shake it up and expect them to get along together all on their own. Our task is to take a hold of what God has given us. That is our challenge, that is our calling. Now, if we stopped right here, things would be a little bit incomplete. Paul says, you should have unity. Why? because there's unity in the spirit. Cool, but how does that really affect me? How does this bear upon my life? I'm glad you asked that question. Paul actually pauses in the letter here and he makes a brief aside to provide a form of justification. This is gonna answer your question. Read along with me, verses seven to 10. 
But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So here is your answer. There is unity in the spirit and we are gifted with the spirit. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 68. This portion right here, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68, it's a psalm of victory of a king who's returning triumphantly from battle and leading a victory parade up to Mount Zion. Now, Paul is quoting this, and this is actually how uh, victory parades would happen after battles in the ancient Near East. A victorious king would return back to his people, and part of this parade would include all of his subjects who had been taken prisoner by the enemy, and he was returning back with them. And Paul is saying, this is Jesus. When he returned after his victory, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he's referring to the ascension and descension of Christ. This is the gospel right here. When he ascended, what does it mean? That he had descended into the lower regions of the earth. So he's referring to God becoming man, eternity entering time, divinity taking on the form of humanity, all power in the form of a child, where Jesus Christ lived the life that we could not live, and he did the thing that we could not do. He paid the price that we could not pay so that we could be with him. And then he resurrected and he rose. And when he ascended on high, he also gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. What gift did he give? Take a look at this passage, John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, this is Jesus speaking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So we who have been rescued and liberated from our enslavement to bondage have been given the gift by God's Spirit himself, the helper who Christ will send and who will give witness to him. And this is actually, to bring this all together, what we're celebrating on Pentecost Sunday. We're celebrating the fact that 50 days, Pent five Pentecost, 50 days after the death of Christ, the apostles and other believers were gathered in an upper room. And it says in Acts 2 that there was a sound of a wind and tongues of fire descended above them, that the Spirit came into God's people, and they started speaking in many tongues. It was this great cross-cultural utterance, praising God himself. This is what happened on Pentecost. If you see in the Old Testament, God's presence is sometimes signified with things like fire. There's a burning bush on Mount Sinai. Fire and wind fall down as well. Sometimes God's spirit would fall on certain people at certain times for certain tasks. But there's a promise in Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams 
and your young men shall see visions. So in the upper room, in Acts 2, there were two types of people in there. There were the apostles who had spent the last three years with Jesus, learning from him, being equipped and trained by him. And then there was everyone else. There were the people that had not received this training from Jesus, but had followed him anyways. And guess what happens in Acts 2? The Spirit falls on everyone there. Not just the educated and the qualified, but the most humble, lowly, illiterate follower of Christ also receives his Spirit. So for every Christian now, every Christian becomes a burning bush. Every Christian, because of Pentecost, is a Mount Sinai. We are temple people, tabernacle people, people with the Spirit of God indwelling in us. And so what does that mean for the church? Well, it means that in the kingdom of heaven, in the body of Christ, there's no room for walking with a swagger, but there's also no room for walking with a slouch. There's no room for pride. There's no room for shame. The Spirit is in all of God's people. Now, Paul has said, if we remember the the first slide, that there is unity in the Spirit. But now he's saying that the Spirit is in us. The Spirit has been gifted to us, and this should build towards our unity. There's unity in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you. Therefore, there is unity in you. But how do we accomplish this? How do we pull this off? Let's keep reading a little bit further. verses 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the, is our key word, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, in in the Greek it literally means all people, men and women, don't worry, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, to grow up into Him. Who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds builds itself up in love. So Paul takes a little bit of a detour. He's talking about unity, how we all have the Spirit, all these things that we have in common. One faith, one hope, one God, one Father, one body. And now he talks about the diversity within the body of Christ and how this builds up to our unity as well. When a believer gives their life to Christ, chooses to follow him, they receive God's spirit, the Holy Spirit in them, and they receive a spiritual gift. These gifts aren't all the same. There's not an equal or identical or symmetrical or parallel distribution. Different types of gifts are given. Paul lists some of them here. He says apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. But specifically, he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Paul is specifically talking about people who have been given gifts to help build up other Christians in developing their gifts. But the point is this. We have been gifted with each other 
and for each other. We have all been gifted gifts by the Spirit for building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is held together by every joint, every person, every skill set from which it is equipped. And when it's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've been given these gifts, spiritual gifts. They're used for building up the church and for also the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is just focusing right here, right now on how there's unity in the spirit. We receive the spirit and we receive gifts in the spirit. And these gifts, when they're used, are for actually building up unity in the church, therefore serving each other in this way. So the final call is to grow, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Our gifts are given to each other to build each other up, to serve each other, growing in faith and maturity and knowledge to become more like Christ, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates to serve and have his humility and his unity in all things. So let's, let's keep all this straight because there's many moving points. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a gift. The unity created amongst the church through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And the abilities and tools that we have been given to build up and maintain this unity through the church is also a gift. All is gift. So let's, let's reflect on this a little bit. Here's the first question that I would have for you today. How are you gifted? It's not if, it's not if you are gifted. How are you gifted? If you are in Christ, his spirit is in you and he has given you gifts to serve those around you. And perhaps you may not be quite sure well, this week, I would encourage you, look through the Bible, study God's word, and see what some of these gifts are. Perhaps some would resonate to you. There are resources online you can dig into it. All those things are good, but also I would encourage you to ask the other believers around you. The body of Christ can actually speak into this and affirm this in you. Perhaps you say, hey, I don't really exist in a Christian community. Hey, man, join a life group. Join a huddle. That's a great first place to start and they will speak into you and affirm the gifts that are in you. That's how I'm here, right here, right now, you and I speaking to each other. About two years ago, Pastor Lucas saw me uh, doing something else, and he said, hey man, I think you might have a gift for teaching. And I said, no man, you're crazy, that's not me, sorry. And he said, no, come and try it out. So we did the pastoral residency program, and at the end of the program, uh, he said, okay, try speaking. And I spoke, and people said, hey man, we really enjoyed that we would like for you to continue to serve the body of Christ in this way. And so there was never a part or a time where there was something in me like, mm, this is really, you know, how I'm leaning. This is what I want to do. I'm here now because the body of Christ said, hey, we see these gifts. We want you to do it in this way. So that's the first question. How are you gifted? The second question is this. How are you serving? How are you using your gifts to build up the body of Christ? And that could mean specifically here at Bayview Glen, that might be a little bit too on the nose. You need to serve and da da da, serve here, right? The church is bigger than just Bayview Glen, but the church includes Bayview Glen Church. So if you're looking for opportunities, for ways to serve, ways to find out what your giftings are, there are many things that you can check out here. We have serve teams. You can follow the next step button in the chat as well, but I don't wanna push too hard on that. I want you to reflect. 
How has God gifted you? Where has he placed you? Who are the people in your life? How can you be building up his body? And if you're not sure, I would encourage you, take time, pray, study his word, seek out believers in your life, seek out opportunities for this. This is how we grow. This is how the body of Christ grows. God has spiritually gifted each of us. So we should minister to others and actually let them minister to us so we will grow in maturity. As an illustration, this actually came to mind. Uh, a friend of mine recently got married. Actually, all my friends recently got married. You go to Bible college and they all just do it the same summer. They don't coordinate it, it just happens. And you got 15 weddings in a summer. Besides the point, one of them was sharing with me about uh, his first couple years of marriage. And he said, yeah, like, of course, you're going to get in disagreements and things can be challenging and frustrating. But he said, it's, it's kind of hard to stay at, uh, to stay. It's kind of hard to stay frustrated at my wife when our lives are so woven into these rhythms and habits of serving one another. You can't be mad at the person when they're making you dinner. It's hard to be frustrated at them when you're also serving them. And he just talked about this beautiful rhythm of, of service, self-submission, mutual sacrifice, and how this actually helps them navigate conflict in their life because they're so regularly serving and expressing their love for one another. And I thought that was an interesting illustration of how we're also gifted and equipped to serve each other that actually fosters our love, that promotes unity, and it builds us up in unity and knowledge of the Son of God. So, in conclusion, as we're sent out, let's remember this. We work from a position of pre-existing unity in the Spirit. This is not something we do. This is something we receive. This is something that we inherit. And we work to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And we do this by the power of the Spirit. So, unity in the church is not done by a bunch of us getting together and just trying harder by our own strength, failing, getting frustrated, and going back to life as it was. This is something God has called us to, and this is something God has equipped us for. So in every step of the way, we see how at the start of the chapter that God is over all, God is through all, and God is in all. We serve through him, we serve by him, and we serve for him as well. And so as we wrap up this series on finding common ground, let's just be encouraged to remember the immense gift and privilege, one, of being set free, freedom from our captivity, but also receiving his spirit, and now the gifting and equipping and power that we have to this impossible countercultural call that is only possible through the power of God. So why would we work for this or serve towards this by any other empowerment, by any other form of strength? So I really hope you've enjoyed this series. It's really blessed me. And I would encourage you to reflect on these things. Ask God, how has he equipped you? How can you be serving? How can you be growing? How can we be developing and fostering and maintaining this unity of the spirit here at Bayview Glen and the broader church as a whole?